Lord Jesus, you do bring tidings of redemption and release. Lord, we ask that you would help us understand that for ourselves, and then we ask that you would use your word to help us understand this morning how we can show that to others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to greet those of you who are sitting in the narthex. It's good to have you with us, and this is why we're having another service in the morning in January. The other thing I want to say is that November 9th is an anniversary for me. It's the day that I came and preached my candidating sermon here to you two years ago now, and you voted to have me as your pastor. Uh, I have not regretted that vote, and I'm hoping you haven't either. I just feel like... Now I'm embarrassed. I wasn't begging for applause. Honest. I just feel like every year I want to take time to say I am delighted that God brought me here. You are a wonderful congregation and I love you very much and I'm very grateful. And I think it's appropriate for a pastor to say that to his congregation every now and then. And for me, November 9th is one of those times I want to say that. A few weeks ago, Christina and I had a conference with our daughter's kindergarten teacher. And as the conference began, she asked me, what do you do for a living? I hate that question, because the answer always kills the conversation dead. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, that explains it. (laughs) What? (laughs) So your daughter said that the only thing you do is sit in your office all day and write sermons for the big Jesus day, (laughs) which I guess would be today. And I realized that my five-year-old daughter has absolutely no clue what I do. Which pretty much explains or describes how most people in our culture view those of us who take the name Christian. No clue what we do or what we're about. This summer when I was on study leave writing sermons for the big Jesus days ahead, I didn't go to church one Sunday, which I hope doesn't shock you. Instead, I drove around the east side on a Sunday morning just to see what goes on out there on a Sunday morning, because I never get to. And I drove by Gilbert's on Main Street, and it was packed with people having brunch, and the parks were full, and the malls were full, but a lot of the churches were empty. Most people do not go to church. And do you know what all of those people who do not go to church think about those of us who do? You know what they think about us? They don't. We don't even come to mind. If I'd have asked any of those people, hey, did you think about going to church this morning? They'd have looked at me like I was crazy. What do you mean? I'm having brunch. I'm reading the paper. No, I didn't think about going to church today. It used to be in our culture that everyone went to church, or it seemed like everyone went to church. But that's not true anymore. Seven out of ten Americans think that church is irrelevant. And what's interesting is, according to those statistics, some of those people even go to church and they think it's irrelevant, (laughs) which scares me as a preacher. means right now some of you are thinking, yep, he's irrelevant. (laughs) And those statistics get even worse the younger you go. When I was teaching at Stanford, I had many students who did not know what Easter is. That's more common than you'd think. And in the Northwest here, we are the least church part of the country. There's a Ph.D. dissertation done at Berkeley that shows that the only two cities that have never experienced revival in history are San Francisco and Seattle. 
and I don't know why I've lived in both, but <laughs> for some reason I have, I'm sure there's no connection. The vast majority of people in King County do not think about Jesus or his people, or if they do, they think that Jesus and his people are mean, narrow-minded, judgmental, brain-dead, medieval, flat-footed Philistines, because that's the stereotype. And to me, that is a tragedy, not because I think all those people should be in my church, but because here's the deal, the God of the universe, the God who even right now is creating new planets and solar systems and galaxies at the edge of our universe, the God who makes things like that, that God knows each one of us by name, including the people at Gilbert's right now as I speak. And he loves each one of us, but not with just an ordinary sort of wimpy love, but with a passionate, self-eviscerating love that was so intense, he became a human being, lived a life of poverty and hardship just so that we could know what he's really like. And then he died so that we could be reconciled to him. And even better than that, he gives us the power to live new lives. That's how much he loves us. But those seven out of ten Americans do not know that. Instead, they view Jesus as irrelevant, judgmental, boring. For the last ten weeks, we've been talking about the meaning of the year of Jubilee in the Bible. We've talked about how every 50 years, God commanded a year of Jubilee. It was a time to care for the poor and release people from bondage and bring healing and reconciliation. And we've talked about how we could do that in our Jubilee year, which begins in January. And the point of all of this, this is the last sermon I'm going to preach on Jubilee, so you're off the hook from here on out. The point of the whole thing, the reason God created the year of Jubilee, was to show the world what he's really like, what he values, what he is really like. In his first public sermon, Jesus quotes a Jubilee passage from the Old Testament. It's on your bulletin. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, Proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. The year of God's favor was the year of Jubilee. And what it was meant was to show people that God is favorably disposed toward them. That he loves them. And Jesus says that he fulfills Jubilee. He, he comes and he brings good news to the poor. Poor person, poor spirit. He releases us from things like guilt and fear and addictions and shame. And he heals us. And he reconciles us to God. And he does all of that to show the world what God is really like. And that's what we want to do in our Jubilee year. Show people the real Jesus. Not the Jesus of stereotypes. But the real, loving, radical, counterculture Jesus of Scripture. But how do we do that? How do we do that in a culture where 70% of the people think that Jesus is irrelevant? Well, I know one thing that won't work, and that's words. A lot of words and arguments. Because in a culture of advertising and spin control, folks are just suspicious about words. So we're going to have to show them who Jesus is in our actions. I've taught a lot of writing classes in my day. And there's always one piece of advice that you give to students in a writing class, and it's this. Show, don't tell. If you're writing a story, you don't say, Sally was sad. That's boring. You say instead, Sally clutched her side and sobbed uncontrollably when Troy told her he did not love her anymore. <laughs> and now you've got a romance novel. 
right? Show, don't tell. If we're going to help people know who Jesus really is, it's not going to be our arguments or our words or some preacher or some sermon a preacher preaches. It'll be, be because we've shown them who Jesus is through our acts of service. And that's what Jubilee means for us. This simple sentence. Acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. Because when we care for the poor, when we release the oppressed, when we give of ourselves in any way, we show who Jesus is. We don't tell people Jesus is loving, that he forgives, that he gives us the power to live new lives. We show them through our acts of service. That's how God does it anyway, right? When God wanted to save us, he didn't preach a sermon at us. What did he do? He came in person. He came in the flesh in Jesus Christ and then died to show us how much he loved us. That's what the passage we just read out of John is talking about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, but no one understood him until he came in the flesh. And then people began to go, oh, so that's what you're like. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God is talking to us over and over through his prophets and through his law, but people aren't getting it until he shows up in the flesh in the person of Jesus, and then people begin to understand. You see, words don't convince, but words made flesh do. So during our Jubilee year and beyond, we want to take the words we say we believe and put them in our flesh, individually and as a church, and live them out. And you know what I love about you all? You know one of the things I just love about you all is that most of you are already doing this. I see it all over the place. In your jobs, in your, in your volunteer ministries, you're doing this all over the place. Keep it up. Everywhere I look in the church, I see this happening. Let me give you some examples. This person right here is Allison Council. She's in fourth grade. In our Sunday school classes this year, our children have been doing a Jubilee workshop that focuses on giving ourselves away to others so that they can know who Jesus is. One of the things they're doing is helping to support a neonatal care unit that takes care of babies who've been born addicted to drugs. Well, Allison was so touched by these babies that she decided to give a third of the money that she'd save from her allowance to help these babies out. $50 total. Now, there's two things I want to say about Allison. The first is, what a great kid. You want to know a kid like this, say by teaching Sunday school, sign-ups in the narthex. (laughs) But the second thing I want to say is, when, when those doctors and nurses and parents and relatives of those babies find out what Allison did and find out that she did that as part of a Sunday school class at a church, now what do they think about Jesus? Let me tell you another story. Some members from our church got to know a family with a disabled son. And the family needed to add an extra room to their house in order to accommodate their son's wheelchair. But they couldn't afford it because the medical bills were so high. So some people from our church got a group of architects together who also go to our church. And they drew up the plans for this addition free. No charge. And now they're looking for ways to build that room either at cost or at a reduced price. Again, once this family with with this disabled son finds out that these people are Christians and they go to church, now what do they think about Jesus? And if they had a negative stereotype of Jesus going in their head, now that's been replaced with a picture of the real Jesus. And now they've got a chance to get to know him. There are so many ways that we can do this individually and as a community. 
Teaching Sunday school would be one of them. Because Jubilee is not just about out there. People in here need to know who the real Jesus is, too. Sunday school does that. You could get involved in any number of the ways that we're reaching out to care for the poor. Some people have thought of ideas such as collecting prom dresses. Use prom dresses to give to high school kids who can't afford them so that they can have a prom experience, too. As I said a few weeks ago, our elders have voted to come alongside Stevenson Elementary School to partner with them to help make lives better there. There are all kinds of ways we can do it. Things like baking cupcakes in order to celebrate a child's birthday or mentoring or tutoring or helping fix up their facility. And that'll help them see Jesus. But you know what? It's going to help us see Jesus too. This isn't just about us helping them. It's not about us going and saying, here, we are large and Presbyterian. Let us help you. Boom. Receive our generosity. No, this is about building relationships that go both ways and that we help each other see God. Jubilee is acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. Now, some of you have said to me along the way, Scott, I would love to do acts of service that show our community the real Jesus or a word similar to that. But I can't. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. And I understand that. We live in a busy world. And what Jubilee might mean for some of us is reevaluating our priorities. But it also might mean not, not any additional time at all. Because I think the best way that we could show people the real Jesus is to do it exactly where God has placed us throughout the week. By listening to a coworker who needs a friend. Or if you're a teacher, it might mean paying attention to students in a new way and looking for ways to help them. If you're cooking dinner, maybe it means making a double batch to take to the sick neighbor uh, or the lonely neighbor or just any neighbor just because you want to show them that Jesus is always there to serve. And when we do that, and then they say something like, wow, thank you, or why are you doing this? Then we have to find a natural way, an authentic way to say something like, you know what, I'm just doing what Jesus would do. Or I'm, I'm just following Jesus, and this is what followers of Jesus do. Anything that's natural for you. Because even though words don't convince anybody of anything these days, there is one word we've got to get out there, and that's Jesus. Because folks need to know who he is. But what's really going to show them, what's really going to get their attention are those acts of service. You know, that's what's going on in that story that Rosalind read, where Jesus is on the road with these disciples and they can't recognize him until he does what? Until he breaks the bread and he gives it to them. In other words, it's when he serves them that they recognize him. Acts of service is what shows the world the real Jesus because Jesus came to serve. There's a famous speaker named Tony Campolo, who tells a story that I alluded to a couple of years ago in a, in a letter to the congregation about a time when he was in Honolulu and couldn't sleep because of jet lag. So he wandered into a grimy diner at about 3.30 in the morning, and as he was eating, he overheard two prostitutes talking, and one of them said to the other, it's my birthday tomorrow. And the other prostitute said, well, what do you want me to do about it, throw you a party? And the first one said, nah, I've never had a party in my life. So Tony Campolo went over to the owner of the diner and he asked, do those two women come in every night? And the owner said, yeah. And Tony Campolo said, well, it's one of their birthdays tomorrow. How about we throw a party for her? So the next night, Tony Campolo bought a cake, decorated the diner. And when the prostitute walked in, he had everyone shout happy birthday and then sang to her. And she was just blown away. And when she saw the birthday cake, she started to cry. And she said, you know what, my mom just lives down the street. Can I just take this cake and show it to her before we cut it and eat it? 
And everyone said, sure. So she left. And after she left, Tony Campolo looked around and he said, I got an idea. Let's pray. Okay, I probably wouldn't have done that. That's a little weird, but <laughs> let's pray. So he prayed right there. He prayed for that woman. He prayed for everyone in the, in the, in the diner. And when he finished, the owner of the diner looked at him and said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? And Tony Campolo said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the owner of the diner said, that can't be. There's no such church. Because if there is, I'd go. That's Jubilee. Suddenly, this man and those women in that diner had their image of Jesus transformed from mean, judgmental, nasty, boring, to a loving God who stands ready to forgive and then gives us the power to sin no more. And maybe, just maybe, with that image of Jesus in their minds, maybe they'd be willing to give him a try. That's what Jubilee means for us. Acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. Because here's the deal, guys. Jesus did not call the world to go to church. He called the church to go to the world. And that's what we're going to do. We're taking it to the streets. Not in a boisterous, yelling, judgmental way, but coming humbly as servants. Until inch by inch, block by block, town by town, person by person, we take back what the enemy stole from our God, his people. And that PhD dissertation that shows that we've never had a revival here, some poor professor is going to have to revise it. And Gilbert's, it'll still be packed on Sundays. They're just going to have to open up a little bit later to catch the after-church crowd. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you promise us redemption and release. Lord, we ask that you would help us, please, to show who you really are to the world around us so that everyone knows that you're Lord and everyone has the right idea of who you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.